Hey, what's going on? You're listening to Just Punk Enough. I'm your host, Andy Harrison. This week's interview is Jen Scafidi. She's been in so many bands. She's done so much music. And uh, she's a good friend and a very cool person. Her current project is Blunderbust. And uh, we just talk about her life and her music and... uh, Everything in between. I really enjoy talking to Jen. She's a cool person and a very talented songwriter. And her voice is awesome. Every time I hear her sing, it just kind of, I don't know, does something to me. So, enjoy this interview. It was fun. I love talking to this girl. And, um, yeah. Check it out. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Fizzy Hour Water with Jen and Andy. (laughs) That sign rules, by the way. Thanks. My sister got that for me for my birthday one year. Do you ever put it in the window? Um, you know, it was intended to be in the window. So whatever year it was that she got me that for my birthday, I was walking around lamenting uh, my romantic woes and saying, I just need a neon sign in the window letting people know that I am awesome. And then several <laughs> months later, this neon sign that says Jen is awesome showed up. So, no, I've never actually hung it in the window, I don't think. I need to get one, too. That says Jen is awesome. No, something <laughs> else. I don't know what to say, though. All right, Jen, let's talk. All right. Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up um, in a town east of San Diego called Alpine, California. Um, I went to elementary school there and middle school and my first year of high school and then moved to Carson City when I was 15. 15? Mm-hmm. What were you doing um, in California? Like, were you into, were you learning about music there? Or no, was I was definitely um, doing theater and a youth group. Okay, I was in a <laughs> youth group too. Yeah, um, I didn't learn how to play the guitar um, until after we moved to Nevada. My grandpa passed away um, in like 1991 or 1992, and his um, like late 30s, Gibson L7 came to stay at our house. Um, He had played in the Navy band and then taught guitar lessons for a living. Um, And so he came to live in our house and I was like, someone should know how to play this. And so I saved up all my money from my part-time job and took guitar lessons because I felt like somebody in the house needed to know how to play guitar. (laughs) After you, after you won Carson City? Yeah. Were you into like music period, like listening to music? Um, not cool music, no. no. Yeah, like top forty. <laughs> no, like I was this. definitely yeah. like like righteously uncool. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, like, still I am, right? Like, and I'm not trying to pretend like I'm cool now. But you have tattoos. Uh, tattoos. You have a rocket from the crypt tattoo. Tattoos so. are not cool. Definitely My cool. 25 year old rocket from the crypt tattoo is not cool. I think it's cool. <laughs> I don't have one, and I love that logo it's because you're also an old man. <laughs> Do you know how many people ask me what this is and think it's a penis? <laughs> hey, man, let them. It's a conversation starter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So t- what what kind of got you into music, period? I, I like think, I think like, actually moving to Nevada. Yeah. So, so we moved to Nevada when I was 15. That was in like 1991 or whatever I just said. Um, and I had come from like Southern California, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And... Um, I wasn't cool there, but like cool stuff was around. And then my parents moved me to this town where like I I was like getting a ride home from somebody after school one day and he was like spitting 
tobacco spit into a Gatorade bottle. And I was like, where the fuck do I live now? (laughs) Right? Like kids were unironically listening to country music. That was not something I knew about. You know what I mean? Like the top 40 music was like a year and a half behind. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then at that same time is when um, KRZQ launched. So I started my sophomore year at Carson High right around the same time, like, you know, early 90s, like when grunge is just starting to happen. The friends that I am making are definitely other misfits, right? And like, I mean, obviously, like, again, never cool. So I always all my friends have been like the island of misfit toys, right? (laughs) Um, But suddenly there was a soundtrack. You know what I mean? So I really feel like like cares EQ happening, moving to Nevada, meeting friends. Cause I don't, I'm the oldest sibling. So I didn't have, I didn't have like an older brother and older sister to like make me mixtapes or pass down their records. But all of a sudden I had friends who were like that. Yeah. And so, um, like I discovered the violent femmes and the pixies and the B 52s, right? Like even the B 52s were like blowing my tiny mind. Yeah. <laughs> Was that because of KRZQ or were those friends? I think it was a combination. Like it it really, I mean, I think it would have happened anyway. And we take a look at the, like how quote unquote grunge and alternative exploded in the mid nineties. Like it would have gotten to me eventually. And I am not pretending at all. Like, Oh, we were so underground, man. Like, no, we all had Doc Martens. Yeah. Like that isn't underground. If you and your 16 friends all have the same shoe. It was cool though. Right? Like, like, okay, yeah, well, like we all have different hair colors, but like, no, your hair is all, all manic panic. Yeah. Like, <laughs> did you uh, go to the Cares EQ balls? Um, I never did. So my parents were pretty strict. I wasn't oh, okay. really allowed to go anywhere. I didn't get my driver's license till I was 18. Um, there was at some point a lot of sneaking out. Yeah. Like, all of the time I spent in the Ryland Street basement was unauthorized by my parents. <laughs> Yeah. Like, they really thought I spent the night at my friend Nicole's house a lot. And this was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do um, you... Um, I don't think I went to any of the character cue balls, though. No. Mm-hmm. I went to two of them. They were cool. And it was, like, the first time I was, like, beat up. And it was during, like, Catherine Wheel. And I was beat <laughs> up because I was just, like, up front. And I was like, this is how it is? I'm like, never again. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whatever. Definitely uh, uncool, but... So you were playing guitar at this time or like? Yeah, so I was taking guitar lessons and, yeah. and I was like kind of learning classical style and definitely wasn't playing anything cool. There was a period of time where um, like there were people in my PE class, like um, what was his name? Jason Cochamp. Do you remember him? Mm-mm. So just a kid we went to high school with. Yeah. Um, and like the other guitar playing 15 and 16 year olds that were in my PE class, we yeah. would just like not dress out. Yeah. And then like they would play guitar and I would watch, right? Because the only in thing PE? I could play in PE. Yeah. Because yeah. I think at that point, the only thing I could play was probably Dust in the Wind. <laughs> not come as you are? No. No. <laughs> That's what I learned. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, then I like made friends who who played music, yeah. right? Like I um, I met Jim Bowers when we were 16 and then... Was that like sophomore? That was... Ish? I think that was winter of our junior year. Okay. Yeah, because he, he was playing guitar in the pep band at a basketball game. Okay. And uh, he and the pep band played Blister in the Sun. Yeah. And I was like, who is that kid? <laughs> and, my friend, and my friend Nora was like, that's Jim. 
I'm like, you got to introduce me to him. <laughs> and like, yeah. and we're like, we're still friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, I, I yeah. feel like that was like directly responsible for, for me being like, I don't know that I would have been in bands if I hadn't met other kids who knew how to be in bands. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't know how to write music. I don't, I still don't read music. Yeah. You know, right. like, um, like I was definitely like just kind of like showing up. Like, can I play something yeah. here? Right. And even in high school, I wasn't really playing guitar in any of the bands we were doing. I was mostly just singing. Um, and it wasn't until after high school um, when Jim moved to Texas and was like, "Hey, you should move to Texas and learn to play the bass and like let's do a punk band." That I was like, "That's a great idea, right?" Well, when was this? <laughs> uh, 1994. Wait, so you were in high school still? No, no, no. I, I, like the year after we graduated. Yeah. But you were playing, were, you weren't playing in high school? I was, but not not really playing guitar, like mostly singing. So what were you? What band were you doing in high school? Uh, you're going to make me say Narcissistic Fred's out loud. No, I didn't know the... <laughs> for sure if it was after or before. But yeah, we, so. It was during So yeah, school. so that, yeah, exactly. So and that. What, what were you playing in that band? Um, I played guitar in the Fred's. Um. Yeah, I th- I play guitar in the Freds. Like w- when we opened for Face to Face, I played guitar at that show. <laughs> Dang, that's big time. Yeah, I love not- I love Face to Face. Yeah, I've never got to open for them. Yeah, that's like to date still like one of the like biggest acts I've ever opened. To me, for. that is huge. Yeah. That is awesome. How did that come about? Like, what did you were you guys just screwing around? And you're like, start a band. Um, yeah, I don't. For, that was one time where I was not in charge, right? Yeah. Where I was just like, oh, can I do the thing with you guys? Yeah, yeah. And you were just in. <laughs> and I was just doing the thing with yeah. everyone because I, I don't know, showed up. <laughs> where were you guys jamming? Um, let's see. We, I think we used to play at our drummer Troy's house for a while. And then, you know, I think we might have practiced at my house, which might have been why I got to be in the band because yeah. I had a place where we could practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, cool. And there was, there was an era of the Freds where I wasn't actually in the band. So the, there's a split seven inch with Zoinks. I didn't play on that. Okay. Like, not technically in the yeah. band for that uh, release. So wait, were you in high school when you guys opened for Face to Face? That was the summer after we graduated. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what other shows were you playing in that band? Um, we just played Alana fallout shelter and, um, the Ryland street basement. Like we made friends with Zoinks, um, the way that you do, right. Where you're like, hi, we're kids from Carson city. Like, do you guys want to be our friend? And like to date, Bob Conrad is responsible for like 50% of what I know about, like how to run a band, how to be, how to book a show, like how to do all of the business of it. And, um, Miriam Pesota who passed away in 2004 is responsible for the other half of it. That's cool. So, yeah, I think they just like took us under their wing and were like, you guys seem like you could use some help. Yeah. <laughs> so then after the Freds, what would you do after you graduated? Freds so graduated done. and then um, and then Jim went into the Air Force and moved to Texas and was like, you should learn how to play the bass, move to Texas and we'll do the Freds. And me being like stoned and 19 <laughs> it's like that's a great idea let's do that yeah. so were you at home like learning the songs or were you uh no 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 them? no i showed up i showed up. i mean i had picked up a bass before yeah, right? right and like if you know how to play guitar yeah you can you can stumble through it yeah. and if you're playing pop punk you'll figure it out yeah. right like it's not hard you just play the root note right um yeah so i got to town um in early april and jim had already lined up a drummer 
and another guitar player and a place While to, and, a, and a place to practice. Yeah, because he like he he did basic training and then was stationed there for okay. um, after tech school. Yeah. So he was like he had been there for he'd been there for almost a year. Well, maybe I don't know how long. Yeah. What is time? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, and yeah, so I showed up like the beginning of April. And that was uh, the year that Zoinks record uh, Bad Move Space Cadet came out. And so they were on tour with Mandingo. Okay. Um, so a month after I got there, we played a show with them. Yeah. And so I had been playing the bass for, for, a, for month. a month. Yeah. And so how then, did that go? Uh, I think I did great. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't remember, but yeah. no one uh, booed. So. so what was the plan? I mean, if Jim was in the military, it's not like he could go anywhere and tour and stuff um right? you know or, we did we yeah. t- we toured texas i mean do texas you... is huge so yeah. doing yeah. a tour of texas is pretty big anyway yeah but like houston's three hours from san antonio corpus christi is like two hours away yeah. you know austin's an hour away uh san angelo is like an hour or two away like yeah. you can play a bunch of like you're, we're not going to el paso that's yeah, 10 yeah. hours yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> but there's close places um houston and then lake charles louisiana is right there like so we played, we did a bunch of like four day weekend kind of things. Okay. Did you put anything out while you were in the band? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We put out, um, so on Bob Conrad's label, second guest, we put out a five song, seven inch EP. We put out a split seven inch with our friends in San Antonio. Um, those guys are called Blunt Slide. We put out a, a split seven inch with them while we were there. And then around the time that we moved back home to Nevada, we put out another split seven inch with our friends in Houston, Sore Loser, yeah. I think. I could go in the other room and confirm I'm telling no, the truth because I have copies, but I'm yeah. pretty sure that's what we did. How did those come about? Was it label stuff or was it just you guys like, hey, you uh, want to do a split? Or yeah, was it I think. Them approaching you? Or yeah, you I think involved? Bob I think Bob approached us. Okay. Um, I think with the Blunt Slide guys, we put that out. Um, and so I think we hit them up to be like, Hey, let's do a thing. Yeah. And then we just did it cause DIY. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how is the, how is like getting records pressed back then different than it is now? Uh, not really that different no. at all. It's yeah. Just, was it, it was easier though. Oh, it wasn't easier. It was more expensive. It was faster. It was faster. <laughs> than it That's is right now. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't harder. Um, I mean, it was a phone call instead of an email. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember that period of time feeling Like, I was always really surprised that you could just pick up the phone and call people and, like, do a thing. (laughs) Right. Right. We were all surprised because I was the same way until years later. Yeah. Like, you could actually do something if you just do it. Yeah. Yeah. You Like, we got our copy of um, Book Your Own Fucking Life that year. And, like, I wrote to the guys in Propagandi and was like, are you ever going to come to Texas? And they were like, hi, let's be friends. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) You know, like, oh, you can just, like, people are just people. Yeah. And I feel like that's a thing, like that's a that's a thing that's happening even now, right? Yeah. Where like, like yeah, yeah, twenty years later in my musical career, and I'm asking myself like, does anybody have a phone number for like this big name producer I've always right. wanted to work with? And it turns out that like I know a guy who knows a guy who knows yeah. that guy. <laughs> I've been doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, I should have done this a long yeah, time. Yeah, and like all those people are just people, and mm-hmm. you can either afford to work with them or not. Usually, yeah, you know, right. and then they're like either assholes or not. Yes. like those are the two really li- the limiting factors. It's it, like time, yeah. money, and whether someone's a dick. It's funny. The older you get, the more you don't give a shit. Like if the answer is no, like I don't know. It's yeah. almost like when you're young, and I'm like, I'm gonna ask a girl out. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. I'm scared to ask this fucking like, can we play a show here? Like. 
Yeah, the older you get, you're like, I don't care, dude. Whatever. Everybody's pretty much the same as us yeah. at this point. Yeah, you know and I mean? like an, a no isn't devastating. No, no. You're like, I figured he'd say no. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I'm asking and I'm like, I don't even really know if I want this, but I just want to know if I did want to do it, how much would it cost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. what's your schedule like? If I if I wanted to work with you, like, is that a thing that could happen this year or are you booked three years out? Yeah, right. And then they're like, oh, I'm a thousand dollars a song. I just did that with a guy and I was like, thousand bucks a song i'm like 13 songs ah, sorry man <laughs> yeah, sorry. yeah see so, and, and uh that i don't i feel like i'd be like all right yeah it depends on who it is <laughs> right and i would yeah i mean i don't want to say he's not worth it yeah because you know there's a lot of people that work hard and are worth yeah. it i yeah. don't have that kind of money well so, i get that i get that you know but uh okay so after Fred's, you guys moved back here? Yeah. And then did Fred's just fizzle apart, or what happened? Um, I think we did. Fred's happened a little while longer. Um, I, we put out that sore loser split. Um, and then, because Jim was still living in San Antonio, because he's still in the military. And then he got out and came home, or switched to reserve duty and came home. And then um, we just kind of maybe fucked around for half a year or whatever yeah. and then that's when we started crush story so like, and why why how did that happen like why i think i remember thinking at the time that like oh there is this very natural progression from punk rock to indie rock yeah like a thing is a thing happens when you become old enough to buy beer where yeah. you're like you know what i love super chunk yeah <laughs> yes i can totally see that man because i wanted to do I've wanted to make that jump for so long. And yeah. I just never have. Yeah. I know that. I know that for, I mean, I can't really speak for Jim, but like we talked about it a lot back then that, that uh, like pop punk just felt really limiting after a while. Like yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that now that I am looking back over time, like, oh, that's kind of always how I've been. Like I'm going to do a thing. And then I'm like, when this starts to feel limiting, I want to do a different thing. Yeah. So. Well, when you listen to that first uh, Crush Story EP, super pop punk. Yeah. Right? You know, because you're like, I remember at the time, too, when you guys were playing, I was like, wow, so indie, so different. Yeah. But then I listened to it last week and was like, wow, this is super pure pop. Right. Like, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, it's still. Just better songwriting. You know yeah, I mean? it's like, still fast. Like, I know I'm still playing really busy bass lines. Yeah. <laughs> like, and those, uh, yeah, and I wanted to bring that up. Like, I listened to it last week, and just those bass lines are so good. I was just like, listening and listening. I'm like, dude. <laughs> What a great record. I sent it to Drastic, too, and I was like, I don't know if you've heard this, but this is one of my favorite EPs. That first, that five-song yeah. EP? Yeah, I love it. Thanks. And just, yeah, just, it's so good. Thank you. But, um, and yeah, and then I found that video you guys playing in that basement. Oh, yeah. On YouTube, and I was just like, that brings me back. Because I remember seeing you guys, <clears throat> and I don't know if it was at that basement or a different one, but I remember the basement was like cut in half. And like you guys played on one half. Yeah, of that it. was the Sinclair Street basement. Okay. So that's where Jim and Mike Abrego and Zach lived. And then I think Zach moved out and Bob moved in. Okay. And I think I went there because Alec Definitely. was friends with you guys Definitely. or something. Do all of your listeners know all of our friends? I mean, no. are the people who are listening all the people that we have known? <laughs> Some. Do we need to make a glossary for nah, people? Forget it. Okay. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm talking to you because I want to talk to you. you I really like I mean? it. So, but yeah, those yeah those times were cool. I I really liked 
the the crush that was a really fun that was like a that was a formative era you know what i mean it's really interesting to me too because i it'll like even now when i make a mixtape like and i start to pull out records to make a mixtape and i realize like half the records on this mixtape came out in 1998 like that was a really formative year for my taste yeah (laughs) and i mean a lot of great records came out around then you know what i mean yeah and I, i yeah i was 98 was a huge year for me as well but it was all skate punk so yeah. Have you heard that thing about you can always tell the best year of a man's life because he dresses like he's still in it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kind of shoes you got on right now? Chucks. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing Etnies then, dude. Oh, all right. I was trying to be like skater boy. Right, so. right. And probably also a sweater with a big horizontal stripe across the chest. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. It's funny because I felt so cool then. And I see videos of me wearing a yellow hat backwards, and I'm just like, <laughs> eyebrow ring, yellow hair, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my god, dude. Eyebrow ring. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, those were the, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was a little bit, it turns out, like kind of a, a historian during that period, too. Like, I have photo albums. Yeah. Within grabbing distance right now, if you need to look through them and try to find yourself in the basement photos. Like. I would like to look at those at some point, okay. for real. Yeah. I just a- did the that Damn It Jim's video. I was uh, the song's called Summer of 98, and it was about living at Greystone and All this right. and that. And I had a couple of pictures, and I asked some other guys in Even Ground or whatever if they had pictures. And, yeah, I put this video together, and it's like this historic. Like, <laughs> I got Del Mar Station in there. I got, yeah, it was just like, I fell through the stage there one night. Oh, did you? <laughs> Man, I went so many, so many shows there. You fell through the stage? Like yeah. a janky stage? Yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite stories to tell, actually. Tell so, um, yeah, I, we, I think we were playing with The Gain. And this, what band? This would have been Crush Story. Okay. So this would have been like late 90s. Yeah. Um, the Gain was definitely playing. And I remember that because when I fell, I saw Steve and Joey uh, standing in the wings, pointing and laughing at me. <laughs> um, there was a piece of plywood like covering up a hole on the stage right in front of the drum riser kind of a thing. And I stepped back onto it and a piece of plywood broke. And I went to kick out my other leg to like catch myself, but my um, cable was wrapped around my foot. And so my foot only moved a little bit and I fell like straight backwards. (laughs) Oh god! And then just kind of like laid on the stage for a minute, like playing. Trying to figure out, like, okay, I'm wearing a skirt, right? Because that was a band where, like, we wore ties and we wore outfits in that band. (laughs) Um, And, like, how do I get up without flashing everybody? And that's when I remember looking up and seeing, because I'm, like, sideways on the stage. And I can see Steve and Joey being like, what happened, man? (laughs) That's awesome. And so, like, got back up with, like... I think without stopping playing. Yeah. That's how I like to tell the story. Whether that's actually true, who knows anymore. I believe but, it. Right? I believe it. Yeah. So whose idea was it to like dress that way and stuff? Like, because it was such an image. It was just, it was so different than what we were used to. That's a really well, good, me. that's a really good question. I don't remember whose idea it was. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't Zach's idea. Yeah. Because I feel like he was definitely a big brother to, to some of us. Yeah. And like like introduced me to a lot of bands I wouldn't have known about if it wasn't for him yeah. kind of a thing. And like, was he responsible for our Elvis Costello fixation? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Jim was cause he sang like him. Yeah. But I, like, did he know that first? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know. I don't remember. So <clears throat> how involved were you like with the songwriting and stuff? 
Um, not really. Like just writing the bass parts. Yeah, yeah. I definitely was not. A, I wasn't a songwriter yet yeah, then. Yeah. Right. You know, like, and I think we had one song. We had one song that I wrote the lyrics to and sang. Okay. And I think the Freds was like that too. We yeah, had yeah. one song that I wrote and sang, yeah. <laughs> which is all the bass player should ever get. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Uh, depends. <laughs> um, okay. So what happened with Crush Story? Uh, Did you get do you want to hear the real story of that? Cause I love, tell- I love, no, I love telling this story too, because it's so funny and sure. I will tell it in front of Jim every time. Sure. Um, we went on tour in, like we we start we toured a bunch. We toured like early summer and then later summer '99, I think. Was Zach touring with you? Uh, no, I think Zach was already off doing squirt gun stuff, oh, or yeah. or had gone to Chicago or wherever. I feel like he was in and out a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know around '98, '99, he was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah and there was a period of overlap where he and Dan Ruby were in Crush Story together. And then I don't know if they were both in the same band when we switched from Kirk to Matt Mayhall on drums. Right. <laughs> but there, the, that summer, it was Jim, Dan, Matt, and I. And we, we did, we, I don't know, we were in Southern California. We played some shows in L.A. And then we came home. I remember having the flu. It's one of the only shows I've ever canceled. Um, and I think. I don't remember if it was the show where we were supposed to play without the drive-in or not, or if that was just the same weekend. <laughs> it could have been, because I know Jason's band, Even Ground, was called at the last second for yeah. the drive-in. Yeah, I think we had to bail on that, because I had the flu. Yeah. And I think that was the last straw. Yeah. Like, it, things had been just, like, kind of tense, I think. Like, I wasn't surprised when Jim came to my house and was like, hey, I don't want to do Crush Story anymore. And I was like, we've been broken up for a year. I'm not surprised (laughs) or two years at that point. I don't even know. Like, I'm not surprised. What are you going to do next? And he was like, Oh, well like Dan and I are going to do a thing. And like, we're going to, we're going to jam with Matt. We're going to get a bass player. Uh, we're going to play crush story songs and call ourselves crush story. (laughs) I think I was like, get the fuck out of my house. (laughs) Oh my God, dude. Oh yeah. So I don't know. So I love to tell that story because that is very much a thing that when you're in your early twenties, you're like, I don't know how to like kick her. So they kicked you out because was that because of the flu or were you just a fucking nuisance? I think that I just probably wasn't a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I moved to New York for a year and when I came back, they had made the full length. And when I sat down to listen to it, like I just cried and cried and cried, but I cried and cried and cried because they could not have made that record if I had still been in the band. And it was so clear to me that it was the right move for everybody. I don't, I wouldn't have become a songwriter if I had stayed the bass player in that band, you know? Yeah. So when he booted you, what'd you do? I, I like to, I like to remember it that I threw him out of my house, but I probably just stood there like a little bit of both. I probably just stood there like, are you fucking kidding me with this? That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I was pretty into like putting on a brave face back then. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have admitted that I had any feelings about it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. um, So yeah. So me and Alec and John Butler started the twilight project. That's right. Yeah. uh, Butler was talking about that. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I was like, I remember that, but I haven't <laughs> listened to it. And like, do you have recordings? Uh, yeah. How did that come about? That was right after Crush Story? That was right after Crush Story. There might have been a little bit of overlap. 
you know that, what I mean? Like Alec and I might have started playing together, but I remember, I remember being like, "It's okay that Crush Toy is ending because I have this other thing." Yeah. Well, how did that start? I think that started because Alec and I started hanging out. Yeah. And he played guitar and I played bass. And when one of you is a guitar player, one of you is a bass player, eventually yeah. you're like, well, we should get together and jam. And we liked it. You know, we yeah. had a good time and felt like the. So there was something there. Like, yeah. And it was so different than what I had been doing. Yeah. And that felt just really liberating. Yeah. Yeah. And then have a thing where like that was mine. Because at this point, every band I'd ever been in had been yeah. with my best friend. Right. You know what I mean? And Jim ran the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to have a project where where you're I, actually doing I something. could be in charge of some stuff or I could have opinions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where I had like a fifty percent vote or then John joined, I had a thirty percent vote. Like how did John get involved? I think in that John Butler way that he was just like, I you know I play by you know I play the fiddle. Yeah. And I was like, Well get your ass over here then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool yeah i bet he remembers how that went down because i don't yeah i should talk to him about that how did where did did you guys you guys recorded some stuff we did we did was it just home recording we recorded with vince oh okay you know what i mean because like he was the only recordist i knew yeah where we did at his house the same place we recorded the crush door ep okay that's cool yeah yeah and that was really fun because i hadn't ever like been the point person on a recording. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think Alec or John had ever been in a studio before. So for the first time, like I was the person who had the experience and could yeah. kind of walk them through what it was going to be like and had an idea about an approach and like it went well. I felt like we, that was a period when I was like, you go into the studio and you capture a moment in time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now I'm like, you go into the studio and you do the best fucking job you possibly can. <laughs> I've been trying to get Butler to be in a band with me for 20 years, man. Really? Yeah. Well, why did I succeed and you didn't? You're a girl. That's a dumb reason. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know, man. But yeah, I remember that. That was cool. Uh, so did you guys play around and stuff? Did you go play shows? Yeah, or? yeah we played shows. We. Yeah. I but feel I mean, like... it was super chill. It wasn't like you're not going to Del Mar. Um, I don't shows. know. We played, we played anywhere anybody would have us. Yeah. You know what I mean? We played, we could play quieter places because yeah. we didn't have a drummer. So yeah. we played some more coffee shop kind of stuff, but that era was still, I had low had just come to planet nine and I was really enamored with the idea that you could be a quiet band yeah. and be affecting, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I was like holding on to that, like ambiance, man, it's a thing. Man, you grew so fast. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, it no, doesn't, I, I don't know if I did. No, I think you did because like I look at myself and I'm still stuck in the skate punk thing. Cause that's what I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. But and you I've love wanted, it in a different way. I know, but I love music as much as you do. And I love playing other music and mm-hmm. I love different genres and like genres. And like when I saw Built to Spill, I was like, what am I doing with my life? Why aren't I doing this? I love pedals. I could make indie rock. I love pedals. I love, you know, like, yeah, I, I, you know, I've always wanted to be in a, in a different type of band. But, you know, punk's what I know. So I'm just like, oh, well, that's yeah. what I do. I get, it's better than nothing. I think I get bored. Yeah. I think I get bored. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. And I think I get curious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think... <clears throat> Like I said, like I saw Low and was like, well, how quiet can you be? Yeah. Like, can a local band pull that off? Like, not as well, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, we were not as professional or talented. Right. <laughs> you know, but, the, I mean, people came to see us. People liked what we did. People bought our tape. Yeah. You know, we, 
we would play a show in a basement and turn off all the lights and put out tea lights. You know what I mean? Like, cool. I think, I think ever since then I have been trying to like create a mood. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So what happened with that project? Um, we did that until I moved to New York. So we did that. So I what mean, prompted the New York move? Oh, there was a boy. Yeah. <laughs> a boy in New York. Uh, somebody I met in Nevada who moved to New York, and then I went there. So it was strictly a boy. It wasn't like, I'm going to make it New York as a musician. Oh, God, no. It was like, I love you. Let's okay. get married. Okay. It was yeah. not, as you can tell, I make terrible decisions sometimes. <laughs> or maybe I don't. So maybe I just have a spirit of adventure, right? Where I'm like, because I can remember, I remember somebody, I remember Pete Manchetti actually saying, like, you're moving to New York for a dude? And I was like, check it out, dude. I've always wanted to live in New York, and now I have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, great point. I agree. I've never been there, but yeah. that's funny. Did you do music when you went? Um, that is when I really started doing, like, when I started writing songs on guitar. Okay. Yeah, so um, that's when I got my Dan Electro, and I didn't have a band, all of my roommates were musicians. Yeah. Um, all of my roommates were in that band, Three Foot Hand. I don't know if you remember uh -uh. them. So they were like contemporaries of Crush Story. Okay. Um, Eric Foreman likes to point out that I one time referred to them as being too alternative. <laughs> <laughs> they had a cello player, man. <laughs> that was that's a Reno band. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like the whole the whole band moved to New York and I went with them. <laughs> and so um, you know, there was already a bass player in the apartment because Eric was there. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I didn't, I, I don't think I brought my bass amp. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I only had a guitar there. And so I started writing songs on guitar and I, I probably wrote the first like five or six songs that would be my first solo stuff there. Yeah. Um, couldn't figure out how to book shows. And that was a little bit more about transportation. In like, New York. Yeah. Cause we were living in Yonkers yeah. and we were living just far enough away um, from the subway that it was like a cab ride to the subway or a bus ride to a subway. Yeah. And it, it was just like one step too far to figure it out. Yeah. Um, how long were you there? Not even a year, oh, like okay. 10 months. Yeah. And then you came back and then came back. Yeah. So, well, yeah, cause I got my heart broken. <laughs> so were you married for 10 months? Uh, we did not get married. Okay. I got there in January and we broke up in March. Okay. <laughs> And then continued to live in the same apartment until October. <laughs> so what did you do when you got back to Reno? Um, I got back to Reno and was like, I know how to book shows here. And yeah. now I play by myself. So now I can book solo shows. And so I started doing that. And that wasn't Blunder. No. So that was just solo, just, just solo me. And um, Stacey Toll from Gunshot Liquor and Marianne Posota both had been really encouraging to me in the Crush Story era and had even encouraged me at the time like you should do your own thing yeah like it'd be cool if you did your own thing and so when i came back and i was like uh hey guys uh, i'm doing my own thing do my own and they were stoked yeah. so the two of them really helped me out <coughs> like helped me help me figure out how to book solo stuff and yeah. then um and solo stuff is just easy to book you yeah. know what i mean because it's just you yep. so you only have to make one phone call but it was the same thing like when i went to texas like i just opened the phone book and started calling venues and was like I'm a solo performer. Like I called Great Basin and yeah. was like, I'm a solo performer. Can I come play there? And they were like, uh, sure. I'm like what? 
yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Right? Like, I wasn't trying to get paid. I didn't know how to ask for money then, yeah. but... So how many songs did you have at this time? Was um, I could play a whole forty-five minute set. Were you by doing then. any covers, or was it all originals? Um, I was probably playing some covers yeah. back then too. Yeah, you know. But you're like in it. Yeah, like, you're right. Yeah, like, yeah, and that was this an is your time. And that was an era when all my songs were like five minutes long. Oh yeah, which now makes me tired just to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like you know, very like very earnest. Yeah. <laughs> When did uh, the spark come then? Was that after That was kind this? of born out of that. So okay. some of that solo stuff, some of that solo material became the spark. And what? who was involved in that? So that was Eric Foreman on okay. bass. And then our friend Andy Dykus on drums. Okay. Um, and that that happened a little bit simultaneously. I think we came back, came back from New York in late 2000 and probably launched the spark by the next summer. And that was another kind of thing where... Eric and I had always jammed together. We jammed together when we lived in New York. Like yeah. we, the first time we met, we were like, oh, we're going to be best friends. You know what I mean? So, so like we always had a real kinship, and, and our musical um, relationship was just really solid from the get-go. Yeah. You know, he is a, just an excellent vocalist. He's such a good harmonizer, and um, he just has really good instincts about that, and they match the kind of stuff that I would do, and yeah. just playing music with him is really fun. <laughs> cool. um, and so there was just a day... I was house sitting and there was a Les Paul in the house where I was house sitting. So I was like, Hey, do you want, you guys want to come over and like jam out? Like there's this, there's like a Les Paul in this empty bedroom. Like Andy, bring your drums. Like we've been talking about, should we start a band? Why don't you guys come over? And we all plugged in and there was magic in the room and we were like, I guess we're doing a band. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah. So we did that for a couple of years and that was at the same time when I was hosting open mics. So Nothing will help you hone your skills better than open mic, right. especially if you're doing it once a week. Yeah, that was here, right? Um, I did that hosted the open mic at the Zephyr for a year. Oh, you did? Yeah, for about a year. And then I started hosting the one at Comic Coffee in Carson City. Um, and I hosted that once a month for eight years. Really? Eight years. <laughs> and you're playing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, mean, like op- op- opening the show with three songs and closing the show with three songs or more, depending eight on... years, why? Um... Did you love it the whole time or was it kind of a love hate? I loved it most of the time. Yeah. I loved it most of the time because open mic is just, it's a cool place to try out new material. So when you have people who are really experienced and they stop by, like to have really great players show up is cool. To have people try out new material is cool. To watch people meet there and start a band together is super fucking cool. Yeah, that's cool. To watch your 15-year-old friend, Miles, like, start a band and then, like, I went on to be in his band. You know what I mean? Like, to watch the kids in high school, like, get their first performance experience and then realize, like, oh, no, we've ruined them forever. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. Like, there, there really is something that is, it's just a fun community. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really start to hate it until it started to get really overrun with high school kids. Yeah. Um, and I just like couldn't. The it got too popular. Like more people showed up every month than I had time slots for. Oh, and yeah. that is just a thing that's just like not fair, and felt really obnoxious. And uh, Carson is the one who pointed out to me. He was like, "You know, you hate this, right?" And I was like, "I do." And he was like, "Yeah, for like a year now." <laughs> I was like, shit, I should probably quit. He's like, you should probably quit. <laughs> uh, but it is cool. Like, it's a it's a environment where people are doing art. And, like, even though it's your job and sometimes it's annoying, it's still kind of like, I don't know, there's something about a coffee shop 
that I'm always like inspired by. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you're reading a magazine, drinking coffee, and you have like smart conversations. I feel. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, and it's it's a cool. It's just stuff. a cool vibe. And then like every once in a while, somebody would drop in from out of town and just like knock your socks off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or or to watch. Do you remember anybody? Um, I don't remember any of the one-offs, but, um, but, so I already mentioned Miles, but Jake Painter, I don't, I don't know if you know him, you Mm -hmm. know him if you saw him, I don't know, he has a new band too, but, um, you would know him if you saw him, I bet. Um, but Jake Painter started out coming open mic probably when he was like 15 or 16 and he would always, he would always want to go like way late in the evening. He was always really super nervous. He was mostly playing instrumental stuff. Um, I could tell he was like just kind of just kind of learning how to write stuff yeah. and he would kind of wander off in a musical direction and then like get a little bit lost. And that's my dog making a <laughs> sad sound. Poor teeth. <laughs> I know. Um, and then to watch him come back every month for years and years and years and just like get better and get yeah. more confident and then eventually start a band. Those were the kinds of things cool. that that was really the big deal for me. Like watching watching people get their start and then and watching people outgrow open mic night was really cool. Yeah, and so then when cool. they would drop in after we hadn't seen them for a year, that was really awesome too. Like, oh I just stopped by like to here's a flyer for my show this weekend, like come see my new yeah. band or whatever. Yeah, I really like I really like that part of it. That's cool. So what happened after the spark? It's the spark, right? The spark, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. We did the spark until Andy didn't want to play till we, till we lost our drummer. Like, why did, did Andy go away to school or did he just quit? I don't remember. Obviously there's no hard feelings there yeah. cause I don't even remember them. Right. Um, I think Eric and I played as a duo for a while and then we did that. And I think, I don't even feel like we intentionally stopped doing it. It just was like, not as much fun without a drummer. Yeah. I don't, Eric just kind of fizzled yeah, out. Yeah, Eric must have started another project. Like, he must have started playing. Um, yeah, I think he was pl- he was playing with somebody else, and they were playing, like, a little bit more, like, hip swaggery stuff. Um, I started playing bass and wax models with Dan Ruby and okay. Tim Prentice and Jason Kellner. Um, and that was real power poppy, and I hadn't done power pop at that point for five or six years, so that was, like, a fun return to form yeah. kind of a thing. Um yeah, and that, that would have been, like, the mid-aughts, right? So we did, yeah, we would have done the Spark until, like, 2003, 4, 5 or so. And then I started working at Maytan in Carson City for, like, Christmas 2005. And I had already been friends with Vince and Carolyn Gates. Yeah. Um, but Carolyn plays the drums. And um, Vince actually was like, you should jam with Carolyn. Like, I bet that'd be really fun you guys and i was like you're right that totally sounds like fun so we just like closed down the store one night and we're like like all right like pick a drum kit go pick a guitar you know what i mean and like grab the you know just like the gear we liked playing in the store the most and plug stuff in and i just played what at the time was just some of my solo stuff yeah and uh we had a blast and that's how blunderbust was born although we were not originally called that um, because I was still playing solo. Yeah. So it was sort of a thing where like I would play solo as Jen Scafidi. And then um, if Carolyn was with me, we would be, we would be Jen Scafidi and customer service. <laughs> and then Carolyn would be like, I'm here to help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was an adorable bit, I yeah. think. Yeah. And we did, we did that. Um, 
So just as a two piece for just as a two piece for a long time. Yeah. 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 So I don't think I'm missing anything before we get there. I briefly mentioned Wax Models, which is the only other band I can think of yeah. at the time. Uh, so in Blunderbuss, where did you guys, uh, what were the early recordings? Where did you record? We recorded Will This Knife, which is a full length, um, with Vince. Okay. Um, we did that at, um, so when Maytan closed, they opened up um, Play Your Own Music. And so, and Vince had a studio there, still does in the current location. Yeah. Um, and we recorded it there. Was it at the current location or no? The it was one at the, on the, at, the car, at the Carson Mall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know he had a studio there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. He put a lot of work into that. Yeah, um, put a lot of love into it. Like yeah. I'm still proud of the work that we did on that. That's cool. Yeah. So you and you guys were playing out and we were playing like, a lot. So that's when I started doing. Um, we started doing shows in the courtyard at Comic Coffee. So. Yeah. This is me, right? Like, I moved back to Carson City, and I'm like, what the shit am I going to do here? Yeah. Right? Like, I'm hosting this open mic, and this is, I, like, work with all these basically, like, 21-year-old, like, metal dudes. Yeah. You know, I'm 10 years older than them, yeah. but, like, these are my peers now, right? Like, these are my friends. It's, like, me and Carolyn and, like, a bunch of boys. <laughs> so so what do I do? I'm like, let's book some shows, guys. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do? <laughs> so we started booking shows in the courtyard in the summer, and you, you're in a band, you know how it works. Like, you have a place to book. You, you like, came to trade something, right? Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, hello, Broken Salvation. Our bands don't sound anything alike, but we should still play together because we work together at the same store. Yeah. And, like, those guys are like, fuck yeah, let's do that, right? So, like, we played a ton of punk and metal shows. At the outdoor? At the, at the courtyard? Yeah. yeah. Just, like, like... the teeny courtyard. In the teeny courtyard. I have... Um, my phone's not over here, but I have amazing pictures of, of like, of the pit in the courtyard. I mean, what kind of noise issues does it matter? What did it matter? I'd like to say, uh, hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Right. Like no one's going to come and bust you for like screaming the F word into the Capitol building yeah. because yeah. like you're right on Carson street. Right. So obviously it must be fine. The only complaints we ever got, we got complaints for the resi- from the residents of the St. Charles Hotel yeah, yeah. about um, people smoking weed. Yeah. <laughs> and and the way the cops, would, this is before weed was legal, the cops would just come in, they'd find me, they'd find the person who looks like they're in charge, right, which is like me. And I'm like, definitely shouldn't be in charge at this point. But yeah. <laughs> And they're like, well, we got a report of some people uh, like smoking marijuana out there. And we walk through the courtyard and it looks mostly like adults. So if you just like make sure that they stop doing that, that'd be great. And I was like, yes, officer. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? Uh, that had to be like 2006, 2007. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. They yeah. don't do that anymore, do they? Um, no. I mean, they've always done they've always done music outside, but yeah. I don't think that they have. We called it the hard courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not like pushing it. I mean, like they Mm-mm. used to because they don't have somebody like you yeah. running it. Yeah, I did, the, I, I did the booking there for a long time, too. Yeah. You know, it, that overlapped with the open mic. So yeah. for, it was totally a thing where i was like well i do the booking here so i'm just gonna book all my friends bands yeah. all summer long outside because that sounds great were you guys playing anywhere else or was that uh we play it? in reno we played at studio four you know we yeah. i mean people are always like where do you play I'm like anywhere anybody yeah, ever yeah. has asked me to play <laughs> were you guys booking tours at all or was it just we did like... we did a tour um we did a tour in 2006 we went to the pacific northwest yeah um, the same run that I just did yeah, and yeah. the same run we did in 2019. Um, we would also play the Bay Area. Um, we, yeah, I think Carolyn and I did a bunch of stuff, just the two of us. Yeah. And it just wasn't really like, I felt a little bit out of the game. I remember feeling like I didn't know 
I didn't know how to book a tour without like book your own fucking life. Yeah, yeah. And then like, oh, MySpace is a thing. Yeah. Right. So like, MySpace is the new book your own fucking life. So I just have to figure it out. So, um, <coughs> yeah. So we did we did a lot of one offs. I don't. Yeah. We did one tour and then a bunch of like out of town shows, yeah, kind yeah. of a thing. That might have also been about money too, because money was real tight in those days. Right. <laughs> That was re- those were the recession years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what else? I mean, so the band has still been going since then. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. And, like, tell me, members that have come in and out or okay. what? What? All right. So, um, we're the band of a thousand hiatuses. Yeah. When it stops being fun, we stop. Yeah. That's like kind of our like one of our number one rules is like if this is not fun, we don't do it. Right. But, um. But you do it. On your own. But I'll do it on my own. But I'll, I have, I went through a, well, let's go chronologically. Yeah, yeah. Right? So let's Carolyn and I start playing as Jen's Graffiti and Customer Service in 2005. Sometime in 2006, after tour, we 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 pick a band name and we decide to be Blunderbust. How, why, who picked that? That's a, that's a Carolyn thing for sure. Okay. Carolyn is um, very good at the portmanteau. <laughs> we were almost called Manarchy for a minute. Manarchy, that's a pretty good <laughs> one too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but but she said blunder bust, and then both of us were like, "That's it." Yeah, like you just that's know, cool. right? Like when I met my dog here, I was like, "That's my dog." Um, yeah. So yeah, that was our band. Um, and so let's see, two thousand six, seven, eight, nine, just the two of us. Um, we suck Carson Cessna into our life of crime as a like a as a synth player in like late 2010, early 2011, probably. And that's when we start playing around with the idea that um, keys can be bass. <laughs> yeah. So we don't have to have a bass player, but we can play around with that, the frequencies. Right. Um, sometime in 2011, 2012, in that era, um, Carolyn's daughter, Samantha Gates, um, played fiddle, played violin with us. And so we were four-piece for a while. We did some touring like that. We played some out-of-town shows. Um, we played some local shows like that. That was a really fun era. She was playing fiddle and mandolin. Oh, okay. And so that was a, like very cool flavors. And I don't, there's like no recordings of that era. Uh, there might be some video out yeah. there, but but that's definitely, that's like a lost yeah. era. I feel like I keep saying the word definitely. I hear myself you know say that a lot. I don't think you are. Okay. I just I want noticed. you to know. I, I have to call I it out. I definitely haven't noticed. Definitely. I'm saying the word definitely a lot, man. I'm definitely enjoying this liquid death. <laughs> No, I haven't noticed. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Now when you play it back, you totally will. Um, so, yeah. So we did that. We did that in like 2010, 2011. <clears throat> pardon me, 2012. And then my mom got cancer summer 2012 and passed away November 2012. And so, of course, hiatus. Um, I think Samantha had all, all that already wasn't working out. Like, I don't know if she quit or we were like, you're, yeah. si- you're 16 yeah. this is it, there definitely was like it wasn't really working for her or us yeah the music was great but um she just like needed to go do her own thing yeah so and again there's zero hard feelings there all of the projects that she has done since are amazing so yeah. um and then also in there in that 2010 to 2012 time frame i started playing bass in nancy plays nurse um because i when I can, I love to have two projects. Yeah. I love to have the one where like I'm in charge and these are my songs and this is what we're doing. Yeah. And then I love to have one where all I have to do is show up yes. and, and like, yeah. and like keep the beat 
and do the la la la's yes. and that's it i don't have to give a shit about like whether the trumpet players are on time yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. you worry about you yeah and you show up yeah and it yeah. it's funny because if i had to choose between the two i don't know if i could and i miss having a project where i play bass when i don't yeah. get to do that I'm, I'm in the same boat right now i'm like do i have enough time to, to do something else because i have a full bass rig too and i'm like i need to use this thing yeah why do i have and this? i love just sitting back and playing with the drummer i don't yeah. have to do anything else yeah i don't have to say a word yeah i just want to yeah i i know yeah. exactly what yeah you're, yeah, you're yeah. i don't want to like i don't always want to do all of the work on stage yeah. right like yeah. when you're the lead singer you're working the whole time and off stage yeah <laughs> yeah so um and that was amazing yeah. that that era um of nancy plays nurse that was a seven-piece band that was two two guitars <coughs> two guitars bass drums carson on keys and two trumpet players right that's what seven kind of music was it um I, like gothic swamp indie rock like i okay. like whatever seven pieces sounds like yeah, when yeah. you know what i mean it's yeah. it's fascinating to me too because miles was this kid i met when he was 15 and we started playing my open mic yeah. and i i was just getting into home recording and so i like went to his mom and was like i really want to record your son but my home studio is in my bedroom and I'm 30 years old and I don't want to make it weird. So like, I want to clear it with you before I ask him. That's awesome. <laughs> and so he came to my house and like recorded three songs yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. And then, you know, and like we have been friends ever since. It's a weird thing to say. Like yeah. you're not supposed to be friends with teenagers, but like eventually they become adults. Yeah, yeah. Some people would call that grooming. Yeah. It was not weird like that. Right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, like, like I... Like his songwriting and my songwriting are kind of similar. He is a, they're not the same, but he, we just have kind of similar approaches. And that yeah. is really interesting to me that like, like how much, how much did I steal from him and how much did he steal from me? Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Or how much of it is just like living in Carson city? Like, is it the water? Yeah. Um, so, so getting to play in a band with him and our, our voices meld really well together. And then because I was the person in the room who had more experience I got to be the person who, who could just have an idea about arrangement and playing with seven pieces is really fucking fun. Yeah. Man. When you're like, Hey trumpets, can you like do a thing like this right here? And like, like, Hey keyboard guy, can you like do this kind of thing here? Yeah. And like, we got Jimmy Gustafson on guitar. So could you just like rip a shredding solo yeah. right here? Like that, that was really fun. And I, I think it made me a little bored with Blunderbust. Yeah. I didn't have enough colors to paint with. Uh, okay. So even before we went on hiatus, I think I was already starting to be like, um, is this not fun? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is why I was like, well, I'm going to just like grab the keyboard player from Southern band and get him to join my first band. Yeah. And then like, oh, well, well, I can't, I'm not bringing the trumpets, but we'll like get a violin player. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I need more colors to play with. Yeah. And that was super fun too. Um, but then, yeah, hiatus because yeah. dead mom. Right. Um, <laughs> and that, um, I had already been having some writer's block. Like yeah. I said, I had already been like, I had already had some, like I wasn't writing songs before that. And then I definitely was not writing songs in the grief period. Definitely. Definitely not. <laughs> um, I tried to play a solo show four or five months after she passed. And I did the show and on the drive home, um, I'm driving and I'm like sobbing hysterical, 
like, it's too soon. It's too soon. I can't do it. Yeah. Carson's in the passenger seat and he's like, you already did it. It's yeah. done. Like the show's over. <laughs> yeah. But that was really like, I, I realized, okay, this is my grief and my voice live in the same place in my body. Right. So I can't get to the voice without, with all that grief in the way. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. So I had to put it down for a while. That led to a brief return to musical theater. Yeah. <laughs> Where? Uh, here in Carson City. Yeah. Yeah. I did, a, uh, I did a bunch of Western Nevada musical theater things. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I was in a production of Les Mis. I did a production of Chicago. I was in yeah. a production of Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um, I was in a production of Chess in Reno. That's the ABBA musical. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was really fun because it was a way for me to get back into it. And it's way different. And it's so different. Yeah. I'm not in charge there. Yeah, yeah. And also it's not personal, right. right? None of the material is personal, yeah. um, but it's still cathartic. Right. Um, so that was a really nice way for me to, to continue. And I did a lot of that in that period. Like I was taking piano lessons and then um, somewhere in there, um, Carson started doing improv noise. And after watching him do it for a year or two, I was like, well, I want to do that. So like I started doing it too. Cause yeah, Cause you can, right? right? So this is back to like, I'm curious, right? Yeah, yeah. I see a thing and I'm like, can I do that? The worst thing that will happen is I'll learn that I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the worst thing that's going to happen is I'll eat shit on stage. And right. I've done that so many times. <laughs> see before falling through right. at Del Mar. <laughs> so I did a lot of non, not my song stuff yeah. in that period. Um, the band Blunderbuss briefly came back together in 2014. It's the period I refer to as the try hard period. Um, where I was definitely trying too hard to yeah. do something and yeah. it wasn't working. Um, like, what do you mean? What do you, you book too many shows? Um, or trying to no, tour or I just like in the studio type. No, like, like trying to create amb ambience. I say it like, uh, ambience. like Mo from the, from the Simpsons, right? <laughs> it's the ambience. Um, like trying to create a mood, but yeah. like trying too hard, yeah. you know, like we, that was an, that was an era where I was like, we're all going to dress in gray and purple. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it was a try hard era. Um, Carson was also switching a little bit from keys to guitar. He was doing like half and half. So there was cool stuff that was happening around there. Um, but I still wasn't writing or like I was, but it was bad. Yeah. So it was just, sometimes it happens. Like yeah. it's just half baked sometimes. And that's, right. You got to get that stuff out because you got to make room for the good stuff. Um, but you don't have to do it publicly, which is what I learned from that era. So you just like keep writing the bad songs, yeah, but, but you, you don't, don't bring them to band practice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I have better instincts about it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also two years is still like, you're still in the grief place. You yeah. know what I mean? That first year after, after something like a, the death of a parent, the first year is like, it's a year of firsts, right? Yeah. And you're sort of prepared for everything to be horrible. Yeah. And then you go to the second year and the second year is like, oh, this is the second Christmas without her. Yeah. This is real now. And that's like when the real, that's when the daily grief begins, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you have to figure out like what is life now and it's still too hard. So I definitely didn't need to try that. Yeah. Definitely did not. Yeah. Absolutely positively. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then, and then Blunderbuss just sat on the shelf because that, that 2014 experience was so like, ugh, yeah, that just like felt gross. Yeah. Like we weren't having fun. We were all three of us were trying too hard and not having any fun at it. And that's a rule. If it's not fun, we, we put it back on the shelf. Right. 
Uh, I played bass in a hardcore band called Crawling Out for a little while. Um, we only got to play two shows. We yeah. practiced for two years and only played two shows. I remember that. And that's I too bad because that. that band was really fun. Yeah. And then... I remember Butler saying you were in a hardcore band. I'm like, fucking Jim. <laughs> fucking everything. <laughs> right? Well, it's that's, awesome. It's yeah, that's the thing great. where someone's like, hey, have you ever wanted to be in a hardcore band? I'm like, uh, yeah. fuck yeah, I have. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I you practiced for two years. Yeah, I don't know if it was really that oh, long, okay. but we practiced for a, we we practiced for a long time. We didn't have a vocalist, and so we were just practicing. And then, um, and then Scott Bates joined us, and then and then it was like, oh, now we're cooking with gas. And then we played two shows, and then broke up because that's what happens. <laughs> what kind of hardcore? Like super fast hardcore? Uh, no, I don't even. I'm bad with the hardcore genres, right? Like, like I have drive like Jehu records, slower. but that's all. Um, not like not like Stony and Sludgy. Um, I I'm, I Just, don't. Was it fast? It was not too fast for me to play, so it was not very fast. <laughs> all right. <laughs> You have no recordings. Um, there have I think there are some practice room recordings somewhere. So if you want to hear it, I bet I, I can do. find those somewhere. I do want to hear it. I bet I can find those. I bet those are in my Google Drive. All right. Okay. You got to remind me all this stuff I said I would find for you because I will totally find it. All right. <laughs> I want to hear it. Yeah. And then you were doing the the uh, sound stuff, right? The oh, Wizard Colors. Yeah. 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 So so Carson at the same time as the hardcore. Um, yeah, I think so. I think there was a lot of overlap around there. Um, that would have been 2015, 2016. I'm, I'm like marking time now by where was I living? Like I lived at the house on Curry yeah. street and that was wizard colors for sure. And that's also, I would leave there to go to band practice in Reno. So yeah, 2015, 2016 yeah, yeah. was that, that's what was happening. So again, I don't have to write anything cause you don't have to write anything when you're doing <laughs> improv noise and you don't right. have to write anything when you're the bass player in a hardcore band, you just show up and learn the song. That was with Carson, right? Um, I, I was doing it solo, the improv stuff solo. We had two separate solo projects. Um, because I saw you and Carson do it together. Yeah. At yeah. a record store. Yep, you sure did. Okay. It's really funny because I constantly forget that Carson knows who you are. Yeah, yeah. And and then I tonight I was like, oh, because we were texting about some band stuff, and I was like, I gotta go. My pal, my pal Andy is coming over to interview me for his blah blah blah. He's like. How do you not remember that I know Andy? And I'm like, every time we have this conversation, I forget that he and John Butler showed up drunk to that show at Spectre. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had two separate solo projects. His was called Onosis and mine was called Tiny Alarms. And we were doing um, Reno Noise Night. And so like one month he'd play and a couple months later I'd oh, okay. play. And then we got a gig at Picnic. And we decided to combine forces. Okay. And so, and that was sort of the birth of Wizard Colors. We realized like, oh, we could do this improv thing together. And it's actually really beautiful and fun. Yeah. And so what's cool about that project is we can just kind of pull it out whenever. Yeah. Because it doesn't, there's no, there's nothing written. It, it is improv. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that project has so informed like my entire life. Yeah. That all I have to ever do is clear obstacles for future me. Future me can handle whatever happens. And, and all I can do is just like make things easier for her by like getting stuff out of the way. Yeah. And like whatever happens in the moment, like even if the pedal fails, even if the right. idea you had doesn't work out, yeah. even if you run through all of the things you wanted to try tonight in the first five minutes and your set's 20 minutes long, you'll still figure it out. <laughs> did you, when you started doing that, did you get obsessed with pedals and stuff? I think I had already been a little okay. obsessed with pedals. Okay. Um, I it usually happens earlier, but I didn't know what 
what you were using in yeah. Blunder in the early days. Yeah, Blunderbust, like. um, because I was the only pitched instrument, always had the spark. I had a, a pedal board. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, okay. I've kind of always liked playing with different colors and flavors. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, especially even in the spark, like you need an overdrive pedal and a fuzz pedal. You're probably going to want your tremolo, tremolo yeah. pedal. Right. Like, you're going to need so, something that yeah. makes space noises. So you you know, by that. Of stuff yeah. Already. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I would have used it as an excuse. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm making noises now? I need to go buy all I need all to go buy gear. all the things. Yeah. I had a deep uh, bench of stuff I could pull from. Yeah. Um, but none of it's really boutique stuff. Yeah. And now yeah. I think we're moving more into like more specific tools, more niche tools, if yeah, you yeah. will, where before my pedal board was just all boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, oh, Jen Scafidi, sponsored by boss. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I also think that there's an art to that, is like, you're using these regular tools to make something great, you know what I mean? You're yeah. Like, you're in a box that you have to be creative. So well, and it's almost better sometimes, yeah, you know? Yeah, that was, that's the fun thing about that for me too. Carson gave me, the best advice when we first started doing it. And he said, he said, um, like make your guitar sound, not like a guitar. Yeah. Like don't play it like a guitar. You're just like using it as a tone generator basically. And that opens up. Sometimes I use an acoustic guitar and I just play with the resonant frequency. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm just using it as a tone generator and I'm mostly playing the pedals. There was an era of that stuff where I was plugging in. um, Do you remember that Nintendo game? Electroplankton. (laughs) which is like a generative music game Uh -uh. so i was plugging that into a delay pedal and a separate amplifier (laughs) and just like using that as as like cool tones and as long as you as long as you know what key the tones are in but it's improv so even if you don't you can play something discordant yeah see the the thing that attracts me to that is improv because i'm always the type of guy that's like if i come up with something cool i have to put it down yeah so i can use it for a song but doing that it's giving you the excuse to just do and you don't have to like yeah yeah there's no strings yeah it's you fucking terrifying it. it's fucking yeah, terrifying I can, I can imagine and you're using you're using your brain in two ways simultaneously you are intensely focused on the verge of panic yeah and you are also completely zoned out yeah, yeah. and you ha- you have to occupy both those spaces at the same time yeah it's it's just really fun. Did and you it, guys get super baked before you? Oh yeah, do it? that's what required. Part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played we played at Mary Anarchy last year, and it's the yeah. first time we had taken Wizard Callers out since pre COVID. Yeah. You know, we I don't even know we were so focused on Monarch of the Mountain. I don't even know if, when the last time we had done a Wizard Callers thing. Yeah. Um, and it <coughs> that felt so much like like we showed up and we were excited to be there and. And so practice for wizard colors is bong rips and a 45 minute line check, yeah. right? It's like, what is on my board and how am I using it? Yeah. You're ju- we're just checking our tools and like yeah. playing off each other and remembering how to listen to each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Remembering right. that like, I don't have to make noise the entire time. There's yeah. another person on the stage with me. So we are going to give and take. And yeah. what does that feel like? It's so hard. It's really hard like. because when you're in the, cause part of what your brain is doing is extreme panic yeah. and extreme panic is like must do stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so teaching yourself to just like, let, but, let yeah. that tone fade out and see what the other guy's doing yeah. and then listen. Yeah. And how do you accent what yeah. they're doing? Yeah. Like what that? is that? And, and for improv, for me, it's like, how does that make me feel? So where, w- when he looks at me and I know that it's time to take it somewhere else, where are we going? 
Yeah. You know, like, do I know? I might yeah. not even know. I know. I'm just going to like, be so scared. I'm just going to play a chord. Silence. Yeah. You're like, yeah. That silence, silence is the terrifying yeah, thing you're like, when oops. you're doing that. Uh, yeah. I don't know what this pedal does. Or I forgot. We've been in the oops place before. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's survivable. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> so like you so asked me a question and I lost it. I didn't. I don't, I don't even Oh, remember. I was talking about Mary Anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And because you asked if we smoke weed. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, that performance felt like, we showed up and we dropped this like pink and purple colored stoner bomb on the crowd yeah. and then just like dissipated into yeah. the air. Like I, I never ghost, but we loaded out our gear that night yeah. and then I went to park the car and couldn't find a spot. And I was like, I'm just driving home. We're leaving. <laughs> so it, it felt like we were like, uh, yeah, like, uh, like gods of mischief or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's like, awesome. poof. <laughs> so, uh, uh, how many records does Munder have? We have Will This Knife, which is the full length. Is that the yellow one? Yeah, that's okay. the one that's got the silhouette of the girl yeah, and yeah. the knife on the yeah. on it. Um, and then in during the Try Hard era, we put out a three-song EP that's digital only. Okay. So that's on our band camp. And who recorded that? We did that with uh, Rick at Dogwater. Okay. Um, and Vince recorded the vocals. Okay. We did like a, a team up on that. Um, and then we put out Monarch of the Mountain in 2019. Okay. I want to talk about that one. Cause, Kay. um, are those songs that you already had written? Were you guys writing together? Cause it's a three piece, right? At this point. Yeah. Yeah. Were you guys writing those together? Or was that like, Hey, I have these songs. I need you guys to accent them. Or? Right. So I had been in that extreme writer's block for years. Yeah. And, um, one like Sunday morning, I picked up a guitar and started playing something yeah. and it was becoming a song and I could feel like, oh, it's come, this is going to be a song. Yeah. I believe that uh, Carson and Carolyn will tell you because Carson was here while that was happening and he texted her, just, it's happening. Yeah, <laughs> finally. It's happening, right? <laughs> and that was, that had to be January 2017 probably. Yeah. And, um, and I wrote, I wrote a couple of songs. Probably wrote "To Grow Small," "Monarch of the Mountain." I think that's that might have been it. Like that's I wrote two or three songs right then, and then, um, oh, and James Alex Chilton. So I wrote those three songs kind of, kind of all in 2017, yeah. and just had this idea of what would it be like to do these in the room. I don't even necessarily have a goal with them. Like, but I wrote songs. Yeah. So, and there's a band, right? Like I wrote songs and I have a band that I play songs in. So yeah. what would it be like to get in a room with my bandmates and play those songs? Yeah. And Carson had fully transitioned to guitar at that point. Cause he'd been using a guitar for all of his improv stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he was ready to like, I'm ready to do this guitar thing now. And, um, we got in the room together and it was really cool. It was super fun. It yeah. came back really fast. Yeah. It, it's like going to the gym or anything. Like it comes back faster than you think it will. Your body remembers how to do it. Yeah. And you might be rusty for a minute, but right. it comes back way faster. Yeah. And so it came back really fast and it was fun. And that's the key, right? Yeah. That's if it's fun for us, then we're doing it. So that transition from what if I took these songs into the room and we played them to what if we recorded these songs with Colin? Because Carson and I had um, recorded 
um, City Life, which is uh, a bonus track on the cassette version of Monarch of the Mountain, and it lives in a secret Bandcamp place. If you can find the Wizard Colors Bandcamp, you can hear the City Life track. Right. Um, we recorded that when when I met Colin in 2014 or 2015, maybe, and it was such a positive experience. I loved what he did with it, yeah. and I just kept thinking, what would Colin do on these new songs? And that became the mission statement. Yeah. Like, what if, right? What if we got in a room and played these? What if we got in a room with Colin and he recorded these? Um, and then it became like, oh shit, right? Part of making a record is you gotta go play these songs in front of people. Yeah. So like, what if I play these songs solo? Like, cause I hadn't been playing solo shows. What if I, what if I go play these songs solo? Wait, what if we play these as a band? And then all of a sudden we were just back. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing stuff and we had a plan. We were going into the studio and we were making a record. Yeah. And then and then we were putting out a record and then we were touring a record. Yeah. So why why record what you did? With Colin? Yeah. Um I had really enjoyed um the what he did with City Life yeah. and I and I wanted to see what he would do with the songs that we brought him. So is he almost like the fourth member? Like did he yeah. change your sound that much or was it just like he refined, you know, oh, that's such what a good, you're... That's such a good question. Um, there, I, I believe that, at least for me, I can only take a song so far. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. They're Like, I'm too close to it. And I only... Like, I have jobs. My jobs with the song are to sing it, play it on guitar, and, like, communicate the emotion of it. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of it. And I, I need to do those things well. <laughs> but that's it. It's not... It's not my job to like pick the drum part or yeah. pick the other guitar part yeah. or or um, track it or produce it or mix it or master it. All of those steps are done by other people. Yeah. So for me, turning that over to somebody who I think has good taste, who I trust, who I know likes what I slash we do, you know, um, it's a terrifying thing yeah. because to do it well, you actually have to give up control. Um, right. You yeah. know, like yeah. you actually have to you have to trust somebody with your like innermost. Yeah. 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 I and you have to be exactly like, here's here's about. my baby. Please like dress it and teach it how to walk. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I had really enjoyed working with Colin and we ha had become friends at that point, too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I like his approach. I like his professionalism. Like he part of, you know, we have a lot of mottos in our band, I guess. But one of the things I think we do is that every time we take it, take it off the shelf again is like, well, what does the next level look like? Yeah. And for us, the next level looked like, well, what if we worked with a producer like Colin? What if we work with somebody who actually has like his own vision and his own opinions and we're actually paying to him to have those opinions yeah. and that vision. Yeah. And it then becomes my slash our job to pick our battles. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because because I might disagree frequently with a choice that Colin is making. And, and so I have to decide like, is this, is this the thing? Is this my hill to die on? And I feel like there was only one thing where I threw up a flag, which was just like, I tracked these backing vocals that I hate. Please don't use them. Yeah. Colin might disagree. Colin might think that we fought about many things, but I feel like I, there was only one thing where I was like, here's where I'm making a stand yeah. where every other opinion was like, I'm not sure about this. Yeah. Um, so when you played, did you play electric guitar or did you, is it acoustic on the whole thing? There, there there's so many levels to this. <laughs> like I was, every time I listen to it, I'm like, like I listened to it today. It's dense. And I was like, God damn, I forgot how rad this is. It's Aww, like, thank you. It's one of those things where 
there's so much to it. And I'm like, how did, like, what was, what were you doing? Um, yeah, a little bit of it's, everything? It's really or? dense. I think I tracked rhythm tracks on acoustic guitar and on the Dan Electro. Okay. That's probably what I did. And I don't. So he, it was up to him to use either one or did he use it on all or? Um, or you don't know. I don't really remember yeah. so much, yeah. but that's that's an approach and i that's probably pretty close to what we did was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna track this you know um like okay on this one i'm gonna i want to track i want to track like a clean dan electro i want to track uh an overdriven dan electro i want to track just the straight up acoustic guitar because without a bass you need a little bit of something like rhythmic to kind of go up the middle when you're mixing um and then when you're working with somebody like colin he's like okay uh play it again but i'm just gonna just like trust me and then he's gonna dial in a tone and you're like i think this sounds like i don't even know what this is but yeah. like whatever yeah. so i played all the rhythm guitars all of the cool guitar shit is carson yeah like i'm i'm only doing the rhythm stuff That's, you know i'm doing the stuff i play next, live that was gonna be my next question is, yeah so did carson go in there and was he playing his effects like on the recording or is that like after that happens to tape so he's using the pedals doing all the yeah yeah for the most part you know and then i mean for the most part but also when you have somebody who is a as talented a mixer as colin is that's really where he shines yeah you know he's a great engineer but he he is very good at mixing and that's just the place where he really develops the song and he is um it's like a sculptor you know what i mean we've given him all of the raw materials and it's now his job to find the moments that are important and bring those out and you know there i'm i know there are places like i went i remember during mixing being like being like do we have any clean guitars on james alex and he was like i don't think we do and i was like okay cool then i'm not gonna ask you to turn that up yeah. <laughs> right. like i was gonna ask for a little more clean guitar because it sounds a little bit you know whatever for what i thought the song was gonna be yeah. and then i remember being like real panicked about that and, yeah. and I, I also listened to it the other day and and was like, oh, this song's just fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's what was my problem? You guys recorded the tape? Well, no. I just mean that as a... Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. I'm just using it yeah. as a... Because um, I'm 150 years old. <laughs> I think it sounds great, dude. I'm Thanks. Like, it, it, yeah, it's been a, a long time since I listened to it. And I was like, oh, yeah, dude. I forgot how fucking rad this yeah. is, man. And just the levels of, like... And your voice is doing different things. And there's different guitars. I'm like, okay, this is not boring you know what i mean like thank you yeah, i like it a lot the so. little dance you just did with your hands is exactly how i feel i was like... doing that through the valley on the way here i'm like <laughs> and i started i'm like i fucking love this shit and i was like what the hell yeah i don't know when There's i look something when... about it, it's just weird and it's just it's like i feel odd because i'm like this skate punk guy and like whatever but mm-hmm. i'm like i love all kinds of music you know what i mean but yeah. i just love the there's just a flow in this thing like i don't know yeah, it moves. Yeah. There's movement in it. And we, yeah. for for as dense as it is, there's still a lot of air in it. Right. Um, one of the one of the keywords we were using when we were making it um, was bloody. And that was Carson's word. And I, I never really understood what he meant until I listened to it lately. And I was like, oh, this is just like smeared everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. there's in, um, in Plain Sight. I think it's In Plain Sight or Wicked, one of those two songs. Um 
like if you listen closely, you hear Colin vaping like on the talkback mic. It's just like it gets caught in the room yeah. on the recording on one of the tracks. And we were like, we got we to like keep that. Yeah, like yeah. that's just has become part of the song. Yeah. Happy mistakes. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. So how, uh, how did a record label get involved? Like, uh, Slow Start Records is run by my friend Jared Putnam, who also um, performs and records on tours as the March Divide. Oh, okay. He and I met in 2004, so all the way back when I was still just playing solo, so okay. in the period between The Spark and uh, what would become Blunderbust. Um, I think we must have met via MySpace or yeah. something like that. Um, and he needed a show in Reno. And so I got him a show in Reno and then we hit it off and then we're like, well, we should tour together. And so we played a bunch of shows in California together that summer and we're friends and kept in touch. And then he took a huge hiatus and I took a huge hiatus yeah. and then he got back into it and called me in like 2013 and was like, I was like, Hey, like, can I, can I have a show? And I was like, I do not know how to do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then called me in 2018 when we were playing again and I was like, now I can do that. Yeah. Like, now I have a band. We can play shows. And so we just got back into it after not having really played together for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he liked it. And the, you know, it's a pretty, like, factory records deal, right? Like, it's, it's a pretty loose kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, like, he's a, he's a pal. So yeah. that's, that's how it happened. Yeah, you know, he, cool. he was like, I want to do these things to help you level up. And like in return, I get 10%, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, that sounds great. Sign and, me up. <laughs> and you guys just toured together. We did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that name. The March. Divide. The March divide. Have you listened to any of his stuff? No, you I, should. You, you would like it. You just put out, you just mentioned that he came out with something new. Yeah. So I need to definitely check it out, but I love that name. It's yeah. Just like, yeah. You would so like cool. his stuff. He, he has the same kind of thing that I do, which is that if we're in a room full of a bunch of like what I would call the divorced dads of punk rock. Yeah. We all have the same record collections, yeah, yeah. which is why even though my music doesn't sound like that, like those groups of people respond to it. Yeah. And his stuff is the same way. Yeah, like his yeah. stuff is, um, it's got like a real good poppy influence to it. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, he's got Jawbreaker records and yeah. like he's just as old as we are, you know? <laughs> I don't know any Jawbreaker records. Oh, are you too cool for that? Way too cool. Oh. What's next for... Uh, you and blunder oh what a great question so uh in a couple weeks here i am recording a live session with loudest folk um cool. so i will be the um record club uh whatchamacallit i don't know offering i guess for august yeah um the kickoff for that will be at the nevada museum of art on august the 4th um I'm well, so you're gonna play there uh, yeah, and yeah. they're going to record it. The recording happens in their studio. Oh, okay. Um, but okay. the, like, kickoff... So the way it works... Um, I haven't had to explain this to anybody yet, so let's see if I explain <laughs> it in a way that makes sense. But um, they have a uh, subscription record club. Okay. And if you're a member of the record... Who does? Loudest Folk. So okay. that's Spike McGuire and Greg okay. Gilmore. Okay. So if you are a member, once a month, um, you get uh, a brand new live session from, uh, like, from a musician. Yeah. Um, they do really small vinyl pressing... Um, they also press CDs, they make tapes 
and there's a limited 30-day window if you're not a member to purchase a physical copy and then once that time is over that was it that was your only chance to get it so it's all like really like limited run small batch very cool cool. um all of the people they have asked to do it are amazing so i'm hugely flattered to have been asked to perform um and i'm really excited about it that's Um, cool I put, you know, with the help of uh, my bandmates, like put together a good uh, set list and it's going to be a solo performance, but I think it'll come out as Wonderbust. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just really excited about it. So that's the next thing. And then where's the studio? Is it- they're in Reno somewhere. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And then, so what's the museum all about? Oh, that's so that'll just they're... be, that's like the kickoff. Oh, okay. So it's like a party. yeah, Spike hosts the first Thursday there. Okay. And usually the first Thursday is whoever's going to be uh, like the record club artist of oh, that okay. month kind of a thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. God, I got to look into this. Yeah. I'm it's missing so much. Yeah. It's super fun. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's, it, it does feel a little bit like I didn't know this was a thing until I've very recently. I've seen that loud as folk yeah. everywhere. Like, I yeah. just, you know, like the rest of us just keep scrolling. You yeah. Know what I mean? like, yeah. No, those guys are pros. Like, cool. And their, and their output is quality. Yeah. Good. So definitely worth checking yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, and then Blunderbuss is working on a new record, so like maybe we'll have that out next summer. That maybe is a little bit of a long yeah, shot. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, vinyl pressing times are a real concern, but um, takes it a year, dude. Yeah, but we're working on it. Yeah, so don't know necessarily where we're going to record it, who all's going to play on it. Yeah. There's a lot of questions up in the air right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're doing the work. So good. Yeah, it's fun. That's the cool. new songs are. Um, it's really interesting because there's a lot of like really dark, sad material. Yeah. And some of the new stuff is uh, like just happier. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> just a little bit more like I, I hope that what we are bringing to people is <clears throat> not necessarily the feeling of like woeful commiseration that we yeah. brought this last go round, yeah. but that we're bringing um, like a feeling of hope. Yeah. After the last two years, I think we could all use a little bit of sunshine. So <laughs> I agree, but it's so something about writing of all the dark stuff is our way to get it out. Though. Yeah, and yeah, that's the that's the problem I'm running into. So really, yeah, because I can't sing about anything happy. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's hard. Here's what, right. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, the new record's gonna be really happy, and then I feel like I would show you the lyrics, and you'd be like, says this who? Isn't happy. <laughs> I'm scared that I'll sound like shiny happy people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. So well, it's got a thin line. Yeah, it's got, you have to write authentically. Yeah. Like you can't force it. And right. I think that some of the new songs are just like feel lighter or more hopeful because I'm just not in the same dark place I was when right. I wrote a lot of the Monarch stuff. Yeah. You know, that stuff was all like I was not in a great place. And yeah. Like I think I'm in a better place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound that sad. When yeah. I hear it. Yeah, I'm like you've you know seen I mean? me like, play lately like it doesn't uh, Yeah. I mean is it uh, like uh, sad, sad, sad song, sad, sad something over happy music? What is that? <laughs> sad songs make me happy though. So yeah. I don't know, you know, it's yeah. Weird. It's like happy music, and then you read the lyrics, and you're like, no, this is still a huge fucking bummer, Jen. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like I'm totally. just using more major chords. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like, I enjoy talking to you. Yeah. I like hearing your story. Thanks. And you've been on the radio show a few times, but I kind of feel like we always miss just kind of your story and so i just wanted to listen to it and thanks chat with you so yeah we do usually goof off a lot more yeah yeah <laughs> yeah this is really fun yeah cool thank you for all the thoughtful questions yeah
cool. Well, there you have it. Holy crap. That was a long episode. I did not want to cut it, though. Um, I had a good time hanging out, talking. Um, her dog was making some noises because of uh, her teeth were pulled. He or her? God, I can't remember. I'm sorry. Fred is all I know. Anyway, uh, go support Jem. She's playing a lot of shows. She's putting herself out there. Been doing it for years. And um, let's support the arts, guys. Appreciate you listening. Um, go to JustPunkEnough.com. Check it out. Hit me up for some interviews. Um, I've got some ideas for future episodes, but uh, I'm always looking for people. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one.